When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. It is Creighton Basketball, Creighton Blue Jay season preview time. And this might be the most hype season in maybe school history. It's the highest preseason ranking in school history. Creighton comes in at ninth in the AP poll and ninth in the coaches poll. They're the preseason favorites to win the Big East Conference. And it is exciting times on deck for Greg McDermott's crew in Omaha. So on this pod, Greg McDermott and I, we, we sat down in his office. We talked about his team. We talked about this season. That's coming up on the pod. I'll also run through the entire roster and give a player-by-player breakdown of kind of what I see from each guy in the, in the rotation. But I, I want to begin with this. I wrote down... I kind of didn't know how to get into it because it's like this. there's so many things with this team and this season to dive into. But I ultimately arrived at this. I wrote down nine deciding factors for this Creighton team's success this season. There's some that are broad. There's some that are specific. There's some that are tangible. And there are some that are intangible. But I arrived at nine. So here's the menu on the pod. Nine deciding factors for Creighton success. Roster breakdown. Interview with Greg McDermott. That's all we got, baby. So here we go. Let's go with the nine deciding factors, biggest factors for Creighton this season. Number one, handle the hype, handle the target on your back. Don't drink your own Kool-Aid, Creighton basketball. Don't get complacent because everyone right now is patting you on the back and wanting to crown you. And you better be able to emotionally handle all of that and emotionally handle the giant target on your back. Creighton this season is likely going to get everyone's best shot that they play. That's that's a lot to be able to deal with game in and game out. Side note, this is one of the more underrated things that I saw firsthand at Kansas, and it's one of the more under-discussed things about being a player for Duke and what they got to deal with or Kentucky or obviously Kansas, you know, like, or in football, Alabama, Ohio State, you are everyone's Super Bowl. You are everyone's biggest game of the year. It's one of the things that I I always thought was under an under-discussed big, big thing that those, those major schools got to deal with. And on, on a relatively smaller scale, but still a real thing, Dealing with this is how it's going to be to a certain degree for Creighton this year. You aren't sneaking up on anyone this year. Nobody is going to come out lackadaisical or lethargic or looking past you. Last year, that that probably happened a few times. There was heck when Nova came to town in in December uh, of last year. You never know. I mean, maybe Nova said, "Okay, these are a bunch of freshmen. They got a Division two transfer." I mean, come on, like, come on. What? Who is this team? Not the case this year. Everybody knows who this team is. Can this team, this Creighton team, deal with the hype 
and pressure that comes with lofty expectations? And can this team emotionally deal with the target on their back and bringing it 40 times this year? Big question and factor for for the season. These are in no particular order, by the way. Factor number two, leadership. This is important. No, No great team that makes a run to the Final Four, wins a national championship, goes to the Elite Eight, has poor leadership. It's it's non-negotiable. And, you know, I could argue that Ryan Hawkins' void will be felt on the intangible leadership side just as much as the on-court production side. And that's saying something because Ryan Hawkins last year was a baller. Ryan Hawkins was the unquestioned leader of the team. Greg McDermott raved about him all season long. And, you know, if you ever watch the huddles or, or practices or any sort of interaction with that team a year ago, Hawkins was the guy. The young guys leaned on him big time. And on top of being that vocal leader, he was also a, a quote-unquote everyday guy, meaning Every single day at practice, he brought it. Focus, energy, talk, positivity, all of it. Some guys, you know, they they get caught up in them, their own feelings and they they you know they're they're pouty or they don't have the energy or they're not locked in. Like Hawkins was an everyday dude. Which brings, you know, the other guys up on the days that they're dragging. And all of a sudden that voice, that presence, that daily guy is gone. So who's going to step up in that spot? And with all these expectations, like I just talked about, it matters even more to have some leadership on this team. Ryan Nemhard is kind of a quiet guy. Sharif Mitchell didn't play last year, and it can be hard to lead when you're not, quote-unquote, the guy. Kalkbrenner is a little more quiet. You know, Alexander and Kaluma aren't necessarily out, outwardly spoken leader type guys. Trey has some ability, but Art, not really. Yeah, I asked Greg McDermott about th- this in in my interview that you'll hear in a little bit, and I thought his answer was interesting because I really believe this. Uh, the way I framed the question to him is like, behind every great team, there there always has to be a guy in the locker room that is an extension of the coach, that views things through the same lens as the coach. And you just go down the line at Creighton, it's under Mac, you know, that you've had, whether it's Gibbs or Managa or... Uh, you know, certainly Mitch Ballack, uh, y- y- last year was Ryan Hawkins. Like you, you need those kinds of guys. And so I asked him about leadership and, and I thought his answer was interesting, but man, behind every great team is great player leadership, huge factor and huge thing to watch for. Factor number three, lot of talented dudes on this team, lots of guys who, who, Deserve the ball, want the ball, but there's only one ball. Can this team sacrifice and really share the ball and not care about all the other stuff? In some ways, I think the season could come down to this. Like If you had asked me what Nick was the number one factor, I'm not so sure it isn't this. And I know this is a kind of a an intangible, hard thing to sink your teeth into, but I could argue this is the most important thing for this team because I'm confident in all the tangible things. 
I'm confident in all the t- this team checks all the tangible boxes. The talent, the experience, the rim protection, the playmaking, the depth. Like all the tangible things, they got it. Check, 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 check. But the that intangible thing about all great championship high-level basketball teams is that ability to be one heartbeat, one mind, one body, one spirit, sharing and sacrificing. Can this group buy into that? Share, sacrifice, and trust each other. For this team with so many weapons, like I said, a lot of people deserve the ball, want the ball. Can they share it, sacrifice, and trust that everyone else is going to do the same thing? If they do that, look out. Because if you think about, like, thinking about this, you know, Nemhard was the primary ball handler when he was on the floor last year. He he is the natural point guard on this roster. Can he now do maybe more with maybe having the ball a little bit less? Because Trey Alexander's emerged. You bring in Baylor Shireman, Francisco Farabello, Sharif Mitchell back. You know, the the TCU transfer and then Sharif Mitchell coming back into the equation now, being healthy. Like, can he do more with maybe having the ball a little bit less? Trey Alexander, what like? He was unlocked at the end of the year when he took over that point guard spot and had the ball in his hands. Okay. Can Trey Alexander be Trey Alexander without being the primary ball handler? Being the secondary ball handler. We all Baylor Shireman, he needs the ball. The South Dakota State transfer. Aurora, Nebraska native, the Summit League player of the year a year ago. He's an elite playmaker. His vision and passing instincts are excellent. He can score. He can shoot. But in order to, to do all those things, he needs the ball a little bit. Shireman's used to having the ball in his hands. How much can he get acclimated to maybe having it a little bit less than he did over his the course of his career at South Dakota State? Arthur Kaluma needs the ball to drive and create opportunities. Sometimes Creighton just needs to get the ball to him and get out of his way and let him get busy. He needs the ball. Kalkbrenner emerges as a viable post-up threat. He needs touches. Sharif Mitchell's back. I mentioned him. He's a point guard who can play make. Farabello can shoot it. You know, like you got a lot of guys who need the ball, deserve the ball, can score, and can pass, which is great. It's great. But nevertheless, to maximize that, there has to be a collective effort to share the ball, sacrifice, and definitely trust that the ball will find them and they'll get their touches. Like the one thing you just want to like, I I'm sure the coaching staff talks to the to the team about this, but like if I could talk to the team, I, I would just say, fellas, like there's gonna be nights it's coming your way and you you go for 25 and it's a huge night. And guess what? Two days later, just for whatever reason, it might not come your way and you might only have six. Can can everybody be okay with that? Because the way this team just the the way Greg McDermott wants to play, the way that ball pops around, like the ball's gonna find the open man, and, and if you happen to be the open man, then great. If if not, you still gotta do what you need to do. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. You know, there are a lot of ways to to greet someone. Hey, hi, hello, what's up? Another way is what's popping? Well, here's the thing. That greeting has taken on a new meaning now because the answer to what's popping is now Runza's new popcorn chicken. That's what's popping. 
Runza's new popcorn chicken is amazing. Little, bite-sized, delicious, all-white meat chicken that make any day better immediately. I love them. My wife loves them. My kids cannot get enough. Two-year-old Mac, six-year-old Mava are constantly wanting to get it popping. Great for a snack, great for a meal. Pair them with the best crinkle fries on planet Earth, and you are set. All I got to say is you need to get out to a Runza location nearest you and get it popping. What's so hard to understand about that? Get it popping with Runza's all-new popcorn chicken. Runza makes it all better. You know, it's just last year Last year was different, man. Ryan Nemhard was the only point guard for most of the year. Sharif Mitchell was out. Alex O'Connell was a catch-and-shoot guy and a, kind of a, or a move-the-ball guy. Kalkbrenner didn't handle it. You know, Kaluma and Trey Alexander were finding their way for most of the year. You know, Hawkins is a, you know, a, a you know, he was a four man. This year's different. Again, Trey emerged in a big way last year. Alexander did. Kaluma was big time by the end of the year, needs the ball. Ryan Nemhard was the biggest freshman of the year. Shireman, I mean, you can make a case he's Creighton's best player and he's their oldest player. Like, Greg McDermott, I asked him kind of about this, but the, the stat, they got to balance all that stuff. Now, I will say this. The good thing is that Creighton's system and their culture and the way they do things kind of naturally does all of this to a certain extent. It's not a system that is heliocentric. That's the kind of term you hear all the time in the NBA where it's all centered around one player and four other other guys just stand and watch. It's a ball movement, player movement, share the ball system. So again, the system should take care of a lot of this but it doesn't just take care of itself. And a system is only as good as the individuals buying into it. The players still have to buy into it, share it, sacrifice, and trust. The coaches have to preach it and teach it every day. And with the players buying in, you, you, you that's what needs to happen. And speaking of players buying in, I want to stick with that for a second. I have no reason to believe otherwise, but Pat Riley, I talked about this in the summer in a pod. He has a he has a saying in basketball called the disease of me. The disease of me. And what he was getting at is, is when a team or a player tastes success, do they succumb to the disease of me and get consumed with thinking about themselves and wanting more shots and more touches and more points and more notoriety and more shine? I don't think any of the guys on Creighton's roster have any of that. But you just hope that Baylor Shireman isn't thinking, man, I'm balling out. I let, I transferred so I could go get mine and get to the NBA. You hope Trey Alexander isn't thinking, man, I was the star at the end of the year. I was the guy in the NCAA tournament. Made the plays in that at the end of that San Diego State game. The offense should center around me. I need more. I'm about to show everyone who the best player is. You hope Arthur Kaluma isn't thinking, man, you guys see these NBA mock draft boards that are out there. I'm the guy that's the highest on these boards. I, you know, I'm about to show everyone that I'm an NBA guy. I need points. I need shots. Ryan Nemhard, same thing, on and on and on. Again, I don't think that this would will be the case, but that disease of me is real, and it has derailed a lot of teams and a lot of players. So there's just a lot to balance with all this talent both from a, the coach's standpoint and from the player's standpoint as well. There, like Lots of unselfishness has to permeate. 
Lots of sacrificing and trust has to be overflowing in that locker room. And they all have to buy into the idea that team success breeds individual success. The way they all get what they want individually is by winning collectively. Like Shireman, Kaluma, Nemar, Trey, like you guys want the notoriety, the shine, you want to get to the NBA, you want all this stuff, go to the Final Four, go to the Elite Eight, win the Big East. Win. If you win, everything takes care of, its, of itself. Period. I could argue this is the biggest factor on this team. Factor number four, turnovers. Last year, turnovers were a huge problem for this team. Creighton turned it over on 20% of their possessions, which ranked 302nd in the country. 302nd in the country. Now, Nemhard had to shoulder almost all the ball handling duties, which is a lot to ask of a true freshman, but he turned it over a lot, and so did Arthur Kaluma. And again, Creighton turned it over in 20% of their possessions. That's a ton. One of the common denominators on when this team would struggle and when they'd hit the skids was when they would, would be turning it over. That has to get addressed, and in my opinion, it has. Still got to go do it, but in my opinion, this team on paper has way more ba- ball handlers on it. You got Nemhard, who you know who won't have to have the ball in his hands the entire game and shoulder that entire load. Trey Alexander got some great experience running the point guard spot late last year when Nemhard was hurt. Baylor Shireman, we've talked about him, transfers in. He was South Dakota State's primary ball handler last year, so he's another guy that can handle it. You bring Sharif Mitchell back off the medical redshirt. He was a point guard who played 20 minutes a game two years ago. He was Having him back helps. Francisco Farabello, TCU transfer. He's a fourth-year player. He's experienced. He's a combo guard. He can play the point if need be. He's got a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio for his career. So I think this team has way more ball handlers on it, which helps address the turnover issue, but it is without question something to watch because it was a problem last year, and until you prove that it's not, I'm going to be watching for it. Factor number five, the three-point line. Creighton has developed a reputation of kind of being three-point shooter you. I think that's what what people think of when they think of Creighton basketball. Just like when I think of, like right now in 2022, if someone says Purdue basketball, I think of big men. I think of big seven-footers. Like but when, when someone says Creighton, I think a lot of people think of three-point shooting. Over the last 20 years or so, this program has churned out great three-point shooter after great three-point shooter and great three-point shooting teams. It's been the identity of the program, especially under Greg McDermott. But that wasn't the case last year. Creighton shot 30% from three last year as a team. That ranked 305th in the country. When you say that and then think about the fact that Creighton lost its top two three-point shooters in Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell, the three-point shooting question is a big one for this team. I think they have decent three-point shooters on this roster, but you know, you you are what your percentage says you are until other until proven otherwise, right? Like, and a lot of these guys didn't shoot a great. Now, I will say sometimes there's a little of adjustment to the college game. For, for some shooters, especially some young shooters. Greg McDermott made this point in our in our post-game conversation we had them after the ex- exhibition game. 
But Mitch Ballock shot about like 29 or 30% from three as a, as a freshman. And we all know what kind of shooter Mitch Ballock became. I mean, Mitch Ballock's probably on the Mount Rushmore of creating three-point shooters. It's probably it's probably Corver, Doug, Roggy, and Ballock. I mean, Mitch went on to be a career 39% three-point shooter, and he's third in three-point field goals made all time in Creighton history. So I say that to say that, you know, sometimes guys can improve and are better shooters than it would appear early on in their career. And so I look at guys like Ryan Emhard and Kaluma and Trey Alexander, and I look at their mechanics. And the, the mechanics are sound. The mechanics are good. Trey Alexander, for example, is a good free-throw shooter. So it stands to reason that you would think that those percentages can creep up for those guys. You know, Nemhard's got a pretty jumper. Trey Alexander, it's got a little bit, it's kind of a legitimate pure jump shot, although he's worked on it and it's more fluid. Kaluma, it comes out of his hands smooth. I look at that in in young players. Like, okay, what is sometimes you know, somebody's got that Sean Marion form and you're like, yikes. You know, that's just, that shit's broke. I don't think that I don't think Nemhard, Kaluma, Trey, those guys got form. They got the right form. But it's got to improve. Especially when Greg McDermott has it's talked about wanting to get back to the old let it fly way of playing, you know, really pushing it, hunting threes, all those kinds of things. And the reality is basketball in 2022, it's really hard to maximize as a team if you're a poor three-point shooting team. The three-point shot is just so important. It puts so much emphasis on everything else and makes your margin for errors way thinner when you are struggling to make threes. This is where the additions in the transfer portal could be enormous. Baylor Shireman, South Dakota State transfer, Francisco Farabello, TCU transfer. They both can shoot it. Shireman shot 47% from three. Farabello shot 38% from three last year. He's a career 40% three-point shooter. So those two guys are going to be relied on heavily to make shots. But nevertheless, the three-point shot, the way Creighton attacks on offense, the the three ball is a big part of their identity. So... Three-point shooting is another question for me heading into this season for the Creighton Blue Jays. Huge factor. Factor number six, pace. Can Creighton get back to playing fast? It's something you're going to hear in my conversation with Coach McDermott. They, They are back to pedal to the metal, really trying to fly up and down the floor. Creighton was a much slower pace team last year. Now, that was kind of by necessity, but nevertheless, they were a much slower, grinded-out type of a team. In fact, Creighton ranked 223rd in the country in average possession length last year. That's the lowest ranking since McDermott's first year at Creighton, which, for people that don't know, that was when when before Mac switched his style to up-tempo. People got to understand, like, Greg McDermott was more of a slower, methodical, grinded-out, beat-you 62-58 to 58 kind of a coach. And then he's once he got to Creighton, he kind of changed his identity and his style. So that first year, his possession and tempo numbers were low. And then last year, kind of was back to that. So basically, since that switch of offensive philosophy, last year was the slowest Creighton has played in 10 years. And again, Greg McDermott has talked about he wants to get back to flying down the floor, pushing with pace, and being relentless in transition. I called Creighton's exhibition game against uh, Drury, and I'm telling you, they are back to 
flying down the floor. And I think it's a smart move. I think this team is much better equipped to play that way. You got multiple ball handlers. You have really, really good depth. I think Baylor Shireman and and what he can do is enormously important. His best skill is his ability to pass, in particular in transition. And the fact that he's a good defensive rebounder and he can then push it himself is a tough dimension to stop in the open floor. I think this team is built to play fast. We'll see how quickly they can get back to that consistent tempo and pushing it and making good decisions while doing so. Interesting component to watch for. Again, that's why my last two pace and you know three-point shooting and pace, th- that's what let it fly kind of means. It's like a play on words for both, like let it fly, like fly up the floor. Also, let it fly, like let the threes fly, and then fly, like fly like a Blue Jay. It's like a triple entendre or something. I don't know if that's even how that works, but they're trying to get back. Greg McDermott, they're trying to get back to let it fly. Okay, well, you better be good in the open floor. You better get back to that. You better be good at shooting threes. We'll see if they can do that. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Factor number seven. Can this team recapture that defensive identity from last year? That defensive ferociousness from last year. Last year was the best defense Creighton has had under Greg McDermott by a fairly wide margin. In fact, that was the identity of that team. They won with their defense. Creighton finished the season 19th in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency rankings. It was a top 20 defense in the country. Sure, you know, this team brings back a good chunk of that core and most importantly, brings back the reigning Big East Defensive Player of the Year in Ryan Kalkbrenner. But you also lost two key pieces to that defense. I don't want to just gloss over that. Alex O'Connell was the perimeter defensive stopper. He would always guard the other team's best guard, chase him around screens, get in a stance, try to fight him. And he was a really good defensive rebounder, too. And then Ryan Hawkins, while he wasn't fleet of foot and going to block shots above the rim, he was always in the right spot, and he came to Creighton as a two-time Division II Defensive Player of the Year. Like So you, you do lose two key pieces to that defense from last year. So they got to fill those voids left. Who will guard the other team's best perimeter player? My guess is it's Trey Alexander, but someone has to take on that role and embrace it. I will say Greg McDermott has done an 
excellent job in this regard of developing and finding and cultivating and creating players that embrace that defensive stopper role. Kyrie Thomas, this he was excellent. He was the biggest defensive player of the year. He was great at that. Tyshawn Alexander then filled in that that void. I thought he was robbed of being the biggest defensive player of the year a couple of years ago. Denzel Mahoney became that guy for the Creighton team in their run to the Sweet 16. And then Alex O'Connell was the guy last year. So they got to find that guy this year. I think it's going to be Trey Alexander, but we'll see. Baylor Shireman, he's you know he's not a great defensive player, but he is a good rebounder defensively, which is important. So that helps. I, this is where I also think having Sharif Mitchell back is huge. He's the best. He's the team's best on-ball defender by a mile. He is awesome hawking the ball. So that is a plus. And then you know Francisco Farabello is a guy who's smart. He's in the right spots and he competes. So they do bring in some pieces that can help whether it's Shireman cleaning up the glass or Sharif Mitchell and what he can do on the ball, Farabello, experienced, strong, understands how to play, has a good defensive IQ. Kaluma should be a good defender given his length and athleticism and wingspan. He should be very disruptive. Ryan Nemhard has to get better there, really take pride in it. He's clearly got the quickness, the foot speed to do that, to bother people. But it is huge that they bring they bring back that this team brings back, you know, one of the, gosh, four or five most impactful defensive players in the country in Ryan Kalkbrenner. They, this dude, man, they really found something with him last year. A big part of Creighton's defensive game plan a year ago was just kind of parking him in the paint and funneling everything to him, and Kalkbrenner would either block or alter everything. So they would kind of run drop coverage on ball screens and just try to keep him around the rim, and he would just he was a problem for people to go. He was a monster down there. And Kalkbrenner is able to protect the rim and block shots and do it without fouling. It's amazing. His foul numbers are remarkable in terms of a guy that blocks shots. He's aggressive, but he's, he does it without fouling. He he makes he last year made it so hard for teams to score in the paint against Creighton. Creighton ranked sixth in the country in two point field goal percentage defense. And two point field goal percentage defense is largely going to be you know like paint shots. And Kalkbrenner's altering or blocking a lot of those. So the pieces are there, most notably the big fella Kalkbrenner. But again, they got to recapture that mojo they had from last year, the pride they had in it last year, and they got to fill some holes. Because sometimes this team's going to be much better. This team's going to be electric offensively. And sometimes when you score so easy offensively, you just naturally go, ah, we'll just get in a scoring contest. Or, ah, we'll just, you know, you, you're you not in a stance and locked in as much. You're like, ah, we'll just get it back with offense. It's fine. You know, last year they had a little bit of a harder time scoring, so they knew they had to defend to stay in the game. So can they can they be electric offensively and not let that take away from the teeth in their defense? So it's going to be huge. You, you really want to talk about going to the Final Four? You really want to talk about that? Well, you better be at least a top 50 Ken Palm defense. At least. Huge factor. Huge factor this season. Factor number eight is kind of... It's kind of along the lines of what I talked about with you know sacrificing and sharing the ball and trusting each other and all that. But factor number eight is managing the depth of this team. I tweeted this out, but 
I've been I've been around Creighton basketball either as a player, a coach, or a broadcaster for 18 this is my 18th Creighton team I've been around as either a, you know, player, coach, or broadcaster. And I can say without question that this is the deepest team I've seen. I've been blown away in practice watching this group. I mean, their second five is legit. And we know about how good their starting five is. But this the depth is incredible. And so th- that's a great thing. Depth is a good thing, but it can be a tricky thing too. I, I, there's a saying I've heard some coaches say in basketball that depth is underrated in practice and overrated in games. And I think what what that that saying is kind of really getting at is, you know, man, sometimes it's easier as a coach and as a player when you know the rotation is thin. Players are freed up in their mind to be aggressive, to go play confidently because they know they're not coming out. That was kind of the case at the end of the year last year. Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, those guys, they knew they weren't coming out of the game. The, the, the bench was totally shot. There was no one over there. They knew they weren't coming out of the game. So that allows you to just put the foot on the gas and just attack. Players are freed up in their mind. Coaches are freed up to not think about subbing as much. Like, this situation for Creighton is interesting. Now, don't get me wrong. This is a good problem to have. It's, it's a good problem to have that you got, you know, you you go 8, 9, 10 deep of real dudes that could go out there and give you good minutes. But it's still something that can be tough to manage. Because just because you can go 10 deep doesn't mean you should play 10 guys. How many minutes do you do you want from your from your top guys? It'd be interesting to see. It's easy to sit there now, in, you know, before the season and talk about, oh yeah, we're going to rotate guys in and out. Oh, all of a sudden, you get at Texas, you're in Maui, game get a little tight. I want to you're going to ride those starters maybe a little bit more. How many minutes do you do you want to play your top guys? Can bench guys really get comfortable and confident and impactful playing ten minutes a game? I lived in that world. It's really hard. My junior year at Creighton, I, I started the season as a starter, and then I kind of became like our, I was our sixth man for a little bit. Then there were some games I was like our seventh and eighth man. And like when you get into that like seventh or eighth man spot where you might get one four-minute segment, a half, whatever, like, oh, boy, it's you're getting eight, 10, 12 minutes a game. That's a hard place to be in as a player. And then as a coach, you're like, okay, are we better off giving – you know, like in this, are, are we better off giving Ben Stolzberg, a freshman here, playing him, you know, eight minutes a game, or should we just give all eight of those minutes to Francisco Farabello or Sharif Mitchell or or the starters? Just keep them, you know, spread that eight those eight minutes out. Like, can bench guys get comfortable and confident and impactful with with off with their role and maybe some limited minutes? How much do you? How do the coaches want to handle that? I've always, I've always said, I'm willing to say it. Like if I were a head coach, subbing would be the hardest thing for me. It'd be, it'd be the hardest thing for me. I'm a guy that is prone to want to just ride my top five or six guys the whole game. But that can backfire. It 100 can backfire. 
And when you have talent on the bench, you're silly not to use it. You're silly to keep Francisco Farabello and Sharif Mitchell just sitting there the whole game. But I'll be curious how Greg McDermott manages the depth that he has. Keeping guys happy, keeping guys engaged, keeping guys in a flow, keeping guys hungry and sharp. Again, you know, Sharif Mitchell, Francisco Farabello deserve to play quite a bit. They're two pretty damn good players. But who's coming out? You want to take Nemhard off the floor, Alexander, Kaluma, Shireman off the floor, off the, off the court? Ben Stolzberg has talent. He needs reps at that guard spot. But who are you taking off the floor? Frederick King, going to be a great player. 6'10", 6'11", bouncy big. But you want to take Kalkbrenner off the floor? You do? It's a tough thing to manage, man. Some people just have that obvious rotation. And well, I think there's I think the obvious rotation is your is your starting five, Nemhard, Trey Alexander, Kaluma, Shireman, Kalkbrenner. Then you're gonna bring Sharif Mitchell and Francisco Farabello off the bench. You can slide Kaluma and Shireman. You know, Kaluma can play the five, Shireman can play the four. Trey can play the point. Farabella can play the point. Sharif Mitchell can play. you got a lot of interchangeable parts. And then you're going to sprinkle in Frederick King as your backup five here and there. And I think I think it's going to be more of an eight-man rotation, more like a seven-man rotation. But Mason Miller, Ben Stolzberg, like those guys could be impactful dudes. So, I mean... There's going to be some good players on the bench who never take their warm-up shirt off or only play five minutes in some games. Can those guys stay locked in and content? It's not a good feeling when you when when you have intentions of playing and deserve to play and you you sit for the whole game. So, listen, there could be a game. There could be a game where Sharif Mitchell or Farabellos, they got it going and Greg McDermott needs to ride with them. Will Ryan Nemhart or Trey Alexander or Kaluma or Shireman be good with that? Like Farabello closing out the game, Trey Alexander sitting on the bench, or Sharif Mitchell closing out the game and Ryan Nemhart sitting on the bench. Those are the kinds of things I'm getting at. You hope that the chemistry and the desire to win supersedes everything else so it's going to be all good, but you're kidding yourself if you don't think this is something to manage and something to deal with. So managing all this depth, big factor. And then the ninth and final factor, this one's kind of silly, but I I felt like I had to put it in there because of the history of Creighton. The ninth deciding factor is health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, Nick, it's health. Oh, okay. Goes without saying. But when you've been as snake-bitten as Creighton has been, You got to say it. Somehow, it seems like Creighton is cursed by the injury bug or something. Like, think about, I wrote this down. Think about all of the, you know, late season significant January, February, March injuries to significant players over the last decade or so that have kind of derailed postseasons for Creighton. 
2003-2004, Tyler McKinney, his season ends because of an eye injury after 10 games. Think about this. Creighton was 10-0 with Tyler in the lineup. They were 10-9 without him. That team had tourney potential. Instead, they go to the NIT and lose in the first round. 2005, my redshirt year. Josh Dotzler tears his knee late in the season. Probably cost Creighton an NCAA tournament bid. Could include Nate Funk in there as well when he tore his labrum that year. Two significant injuries to a team that was definitely an NCAA tournament team and ended up in the NIT. 2017, Maurice Watson tears his ACL in January. That team was 17-1 and and ranked in the top 10. That derailed a season and derailed a team that was Final Four good. They lose in the first round of the tournament. 2018, Martin Crompel tears his ACL. The team limped into the NCAA tournament, and they got beat by Kansas State in the first round. 2020, the COVID year, the COVID NCAA tournament, Marcus Zagorowski tears his MCL on the final play of the final game of the regular season. Is the game they beat Seton Hall to clinch the Big East regular season title. I get it. The NCAA tournament was ultimately canceled because of the pandemic, but still potentially would have derailed a deep tournament run because that team, again, Big East regular season champs, they were in line to probably be a two seed. And then last year, Ryan Nemhard breaks his arm slash wrist in February and Ryan Kalkbrenner tears his knee in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's just truly remarkable when you put a pen to paper and go through it, just how lucky, how unlucky Creighton has been over the years with injuries. And I get it. Every team needs health and Creighton is obviously no different. But Creighton is different in how often they've gotten bit by the injury bug over the years. I really think this team checks all the boxes and has what it takes to make the Final Four. Would be fun to see them go try to chase that fully healthy. So I'm gonna I, I had to throw it in there. Number nine, health. So there you go. Nine factors. For Creighton's season this year. Handling the hype and that target on your back. Leadership. Sacrificing. Guys buying into team success breeds individual success. Got a lot of guys that want and deserve the ball. Can they all share it? And all coexist. Turnovers. Three-point shooting. Pace. Can Creighton get back to flying down at the floor? Can Creighton recapture that defensive identity from a year ago? Can this staff manage the depth on this team? And then health, staying healthy. Okay, let's get to the roster. I'll kind of bang through all the uh, the guys in the rotation, and then I'll, we'll get to my conversation with Craig McDermott. Let's start with Ryan Kalkbrenner, reigning Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I thought he should have been the Big East Preseason Player of the Year, about 13-8 and eight a game last year, 2.6 blocks per game. He's, to me... You know, it's funny. This team's so balanced and so, uh, you know, so deep with great players. You could you could walk through the uh, through the CHI Health Center and talk to a bunch of Jays fans and say, "Who's who's the MVP of the team?" And you might get five different answers. I, my answer would ultimately be Kalkbrenner. He may not be the most talented or best pro or leading scorer, but to me, he is the most valuable because of how important he is to both ends of the floor. Most importantly, the defensive end of the floor. He gives them a legitimate shot at the final four because of his ability to protect the rim. 
I think his offensive game is emerging as well. More skilled down there in the post than you think. He's got good hands. He's good in those pick-roll lobs that Creighton likes to run. He's worked on expanding his three-point shot. So I think he'll you know occasionally pick and pop, and if you give him all day, it, he's, he shoots it well. He'll take a few and make a few. Big year for Ryan Kalkbrenner. Again, for me, I would have said he should be the Big East preseason player of the year. Total stud. He's the reason Creighton's got Final Four aspirations. Ryan Nemhard. Told you last year, perfect fit for how Greg McDermott wants to play. You guys all saw all saw that. I think he 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 looks like he's put on muscle to me, which will help him deal with you know getting beat up throughout the year as you're handling the ball and pushing it. But he's really got to push that pace and be a better decision maker than he was a year ago. Last year there was so much on his plate since he was the only point guard on the roster. This year he's got help, so you hope he doesn't get wore down. But he's got to learn how to be just as productive without the ball all the time as he was with the ball, which will, will be important. I think he can do that, but it's, it's, it's important. And he's also got to improve as a three-point shooter. That way he can space the floor for the drivers like Kaluma, Trey Alexander, Shireman, post-ups for Kalkbrenner. But also, and this is why it's really important, he's got to, he's got to be a good three-point shooter so people can't just go under on-ball screens. That is huge. If people, just go, if, if people have to go over these on-ball screens – when Nemhard's handling the buck, the rock, it, it opens up everything. Pick and pop, pick and roll in the lob, the the throwback to the ball side corner for threes, on and on and on. But a lot of that is is all on how good of a three point shooter he can be. Nemhard, he shot at thirty one percent from three last year. He needs to get up that up to probably the mid upper thirties, and I think he can. I think he can. He's got some – tell you what, Nemhard's got a – like between Farabello and Sharif Mitchell and Trey Alexander and Baylor Shireman, you got multiple guys that can handle the ball. Like, Nemhard's got to bring it, you know? Like, he, he's got to be locked in on the defensive end of the floor. He's got to make good decisions because there's more guys. Like, last year there probably was this feeling for him. He was like, man, I'm playing – I'm going to play 38 minutes a game. I'm not coming off the floor. So I can, you know, I can take chances. I can do this. I can do that. Like, he, he's he's got to be a little tighter with his game. But I love Nemhard. I think he's – poised for a big year Arthur Kaluma listen there's a reason he's the highest Blue Jay on these NBA mock drafts he's crazy talented man 6'7 long he was the best player on the floor for 40 minutes against Kansas in the NCAA tournament 24 points and 12 rebounds in that game I mean he is a matchup problem he can play small ball five if need be like he did against Kansas his versatility is tremendous he can play with his back to the basket. He can take guys off the bounce. He's an above-the-rim athlete. He's, he's really, really a special basketball specimen. Now, he's far from a perfect player, though. He's got to improve as a decision-maker with turnovers. Charges were an issue with him. I think a lot of his turnovers were more so like not, not a lack of the ability to handle the ball, but it was more on decisions on situations he would drive into like he would drive into a pile of bodies or he would try to hit a seam that just isn't there or he'd try to drive it when you maybe need to just swing it like I think the better decisions he makes on where and when to drive his turnovers are going to go down because sometimes he would he would attack just into a pile of guys and naturally one of those guys is set for a charge but those his turnover numbers got to go down and he's like Nemhard, he's got to improve as a three-point shooter too. 
It looks good coming out of his hands, so I think he will, but he was 26% from three last year. Got to get that in the mid-30s this year. Now, I will say, he's the only Blue Jay, if I'm keeping it real with you guys like I do, he's the only Blue Jay that can force it a little bit. Everybody else really, I think, moves the ball pretty well. He's the only guy that that can take some 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 selfish shots or or hold, massage the ball instead of just move it. Just keep it real with you guys. I love Arthur Kaluma. He's an unbelievable player. But he's the only dude that can get a little thirsty, can can hunt a little bit. He can shot hunt a little bit. If If he lets the game come to him and he doesn't worry about the NBA, don't worry about Arthur. If Arthur was in my pod studio sitting across the room, like, you want to go to the NBA? He'd go, yes. Win. Win. If your team goes to the Elite Eight, goes to the Final Four, you're going to get drafted, big dog. Focus on that. If he lets the game come to him, trust his teammates, don't get worried about all this at all, all that other stuff, he's poised for a massive year. Because you guys, I mean, the dude is just like, you, the reality is you turn on an NBA game, they look like Arthur Kaluma. Like everybody on the floor looks like Arthur. Six, seven, long, versatile, switchable. He's a pro. He is a pro. Baylor Shireman. Man. Whew. South Dakota State transfer. When he hit the portal, man, it, I really think I'd, I'd have an ask. I, didn't, I should ask him this. I don't know if the coaching staff was. I think they were going to be okay with running it back, not taking any transfers. Like I, I guess what I'm getting is that they were going to be very selective with who they went into the portal to get. It needed to be a great player that fit, and Baylor Shireman is a great player that is a perfect fit. Perfect fit. If Kalk Brenner is the MVP. Woo, Shireman is right there behind him for me. I'm convinced after watching practice, watching their exhibition game, knowing this roster and knowing Baylor Shireman, knowing what he brings to this team, if 1A, 1B, Kalkbrenner and Shireman MVPs to this team. He unlocks this team's offensive capabilities like nobody else on the team. He's not a good passer. He's a great passer. He might be the best passer Creighton has had in a long time. He, and that's saying something because you know, Tyler McKinney, Dotzler, Maurice Watson, of course, Grant Gibbs, all those guys were excellent. Shireman might be better than all of them. It's his best skill as a basketball player. He's taller than you think. Legitimate 6'6". He can see over the top of people. He's just got incredible instincts and vision, the game moves slow for him. He's one of those players that he is, he's like, you know, Luka, Luka is like moving at Luka Doncic in the NBA, people that watch him, like he's moving, the game, he's going about, his mind is going about 10 miles per hour slower than everybody else's. And he's just methodically moving around. And Okay, if I get to the elbow, that's going to sink in that defender, and now, boom, cross-court three, splash. That's how Shireman, Shireman, he, he's one of those guys, he's thinking a few moves ahead. He's out there playing chess. He knows how to move to create an angle. He knows how to pass fake to create a pass. Like he can make all of the passes too. 
pick and roll, kick out, skip, post-ups, lobs to the rim, full court, tight spaces, and most notably, transition. He is a great transition passer, which will be huge because he's, like I've told you, he's an underrated rebounder, so he can rake it, rebound, and run himself. I think he's a guy, I was talking about that, we were talking about this with uh, John Bishop on the radio call. He could get multiple triple doubles this year. Like that's how rebounding, passing, scoring, he, he's got that well-rounded of a game. Man, this dude's got some swagger and confidence to him as well. Wears the headband. He's kind of got the, he's just kind of got that like that shit to him. You know what I mean? Like he just comes on the floor like, you, I'm going to put on a show today. Like that's his, but bottom line, he was the Summit League Player of the Year last year. 16 points, eight rebounds, four and a half assists per game. Here are his shooting splits. 50% from the field, 47% from three, 80% from the free throw line. And his team, South Dakota State, went 30-5 and on the season and 18-0 and in conference play. I don't give a fuck. I, I don't, I, oh, Nick, it's the Summit League. I don't care. Everything's relative. His team went 30-5. and They went 18-0 and in conference play. He's the real deal, man. They need it. They they this team needs Shireman and what he brings to the equation big time. They need his leadership. They need his swagger. They need his confidence. They need his experience. And they need his passing. He he looks like one of those guys that while he can score, uh, he could, he he's got he's one of those, like. He'll take the Mitch Ballock, Ethan Rogge, 30-foot three, and he could score. He's one of those guys that that looks like he truthfully doesn't care if he scores 20 points or two points, which is not very many, very many guys are built like that. I My favorite thing to watch in basketball is a great passer. It's my favorite thing. So I'm going to have a lot of fun watching Baylor Shireman play. Again, guys unlocks this team and takes them to a their ceiling offensively goes way up because of Shireman and what he brings to the table. Can't wait to watch him play. Trey Alexander. I asked Greg McDermott who the most improved player on the team was and and he talks about Trey in my conversation I'm going to play for you in a little bit, which is pretty eye-opening considering how he finished the season. And I talked to Trey Alexander after the exhibition game a few days ago and he admitted that his confidence was lit on fire after the NCAA tournament performance and the way that season ended. He had 18 points in that overtime thrilling win over San Diego State, including, I mean, he was the closer in that game. And that just kind of propelled him into the offseason and in working hard. His three-point shot was his number one focus in the offseason, and it looks dramatically improved. 28% three-point shooter a year ago. He didn't take very many. I think that number is going to go up. He was three for four from three in the exhibition game. He shot it with confidence, and it looks good. Trey Alexander is going to have to learn how to be effective off the ball, playing with Ryan Nemhard on the floor, being a secondary ball handler. And I think Trey Alexander has to take on that defensive stopper role. But I like how he's wired, and you saw how he finished last year. That's a good basketball player. And if he's the most improved player on the team, look out. Look out. Sharif Mitchell. I'm a believer in Sharif Mitchell. I always have been. Uh, He took a medical redshirt last year because of a groin injury. 
Uh, but he's back now, fourth-year guy, experienced and tough. Keep in mind, when you think of Sharif Mitchell, I mean, he was playing 20 minutes a game two years ago on that team that went to the Sweet 16. He was on the floor with the Gonzaga team that was undefeated, like going toe-to-toe with them. He's the best on-ball defender on the team. I mean, he's the elite on the ball. And that's, I think that's where he's got to really, that, that's where he's he's got to buy into coming into the game and changing it on defense. Like, he, he's got to be foaming at the mouth on the bench, and when Greg McDermott brings him in the game, he is just attacking things defensively. But the thing about him is he's also a capable playmaker with the ball. He played well alongside Marcus Zagorowski two years ago, and I think he'll. I think he's going to need to do that again because, like, he'll be on the floor with Trey Alexander and Kaluma and Shireman, or maybe even you play Nemhard and 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 Sharif Mitchell on on the floor at the same time, and you move Nemhard off the off the ball and let him kind of attack. He's not a great shooter, but he's really improved throughout his career. Two years ago, he ended up being a thirty six percent three point shooter. He doesn't take a lot of them. But again, he'll be selective and take the right ones. But I think I think Sharif Mitchell's a really important piece to this team. And he needs to maintain a good attitude and being unselfish and coming off the bench. Because if he starts to pout, that's not good. I don't think he will, but I'm a, I'm a Sharif Mitchell fan. I'm a believer. Francisco Farabello, TCU transfer. Again, I said a second ago, I don't, I'm not sure if this staff was totally 100% absolutely going to take transfers, but it had to be a really, really talented player and it had to be someone that fit. And Farabello fits perfectly in the intangible and tangible ways. The staff loves this guy. His game and his personality and his approach. He's quickly emerged as a leader on this team. He's from Argentina. He's so he's a foreign guy, but he's a fourth-year player. He was at TCU. He was the sixth man last year. Keep in mind, TCU took number one seeded Arizona to the brink, and Farabella was on that team in the NCAA tournament. Forty percent three-point shooter, ninety percent free throw shooter. Smart, skilled, knows who he is. Doesn't try to play outside of himself, and he's experienced. He can play some point. He's an important player for a lot of reasons. He he might be the best shooter on the team, so he might be a guy that is hard to keep off the floor late in games. Because, I mean, you got a 40% three-point shooter and a guy that make free throws. We'll see. All I'll say is Francisco Farabello might be the most under-talked-about important player on the team. The Again, the staff raves about this guy. Frederick King, man, Frederick King, I will say, being at practice the other day, Frederick King made three, maybe four, holy crap plays throughout like an hour and 45-minute practice. And the staff have said, it's like every day, like Fred is, Fred, Frederick King is good for two to three, whoa, plays every practice. He's... 6'10", 235, he's from the Bahamas. He's a guy that has only been playing organized basketball for a couple of years, so he's raw, but he's the game kind of comes easy to him. He's really talented. He's really smooth and fluid as a 6'10 guy. He moves well. He's light on his feet. 
you know, going against Kalkbrenner every day is really helping him because he's got some offensive game to him. Like, they can throw it to him in the post, and he can go, you know, right shoulder, left shoulder, do some different things. But, you know, he's an above-the-rim player, lobs, defending the rim. He's probably not going to play very much because Kalkbrenner's so damn good, and Kalkbrenner doesn't foul. But, man, is he important for those spot backup five minutes like Keyshawn Fiesel's role was a year ago. But Frederick King, man... He's the next great Creighton big guy. Mason Miller was a guy that redshirted last year. He's the son of Mike Miller, obviously two-time NBA champ with the Heat, Florida Gator great. Uh, he, uh, as a redshirt, really improved during his redshirt year. Got stronger, got acclimated to the collegiate game. He's more ready to play. Uh, his uncle is Ryan Miller, who's an assistant coach on the staff. So there's a, there's, there's a lot of good vibes with the Millers. Uh, for for Creighton, he's maybe the best vertical athlete on the team. Him or Kaluma, he can really jump. So, so can Nemhard too, but he's a little guy. But Mason Miller, good athlete, knows how to play, good family basketball IQ, and he can shoot the ball. So he could come in and be athletic, make shots, be smart. The issue is, got guys named Kaluma and Shireman kind of in front of him. It's just like minutes could be hard because of who's in front of him. But you never know; it's a long season. He could be important. Ben Stolzberg, same kind of story for him. Greg McDermott has, has said he's a bigger, he reminds him of Marcus Zagorowski, but he's bigger, which is saying something because I think Marcus Zagorowski is the best point guard to ever play at Creighton. He can really score. Six foot four, he's from California. He knows how to get buckets, changes speeds, get to his, the mid range, ball fakes. He's crafty. He can shoot it. He's really giving the starters a hard time in practice because of how offensively gifted he is. He He's going to be a great player, but it might not fully happen for him this year. He's just got so many guys ahead of him. The guard spot, the guard situation is loaded. So he might not see a ton of minutes. He's got to stay patient because I think he's the next great Creighton guard and then there's Jason Green Millard North Mustang local stud uh likely going to redshirt but nothing's been finalized yet the coaches are very pleased with him and you know that dude can play but again just like we were talking about with Mason Miller and even Ben Stolzberg there's just a lot of good guys ahead of him right now so his team's so loaded so there you go some roster thoughts on the guys that are in the rotation and then some thoughts on the team in the season it's an exciting year, man. One of the things that is so exciting about this year is how things have lined up where you do have this great team and you have this amazing non-conference schedule to go along with it. I mean, you think about the field in Maui. Here's, here's the field in Maui. Arizona, Arkansas, Ohio State, Louisville, Texas Tech, San Diego State, Cincinnati, and Creighton. I mean, wow. They're going to open up with Texas Tech. I mean, wow. And on top of that, Creighton plays at Texas, preseason top 10, 12 team in the country. They could play Arizona State and BYU in Las Vegas. I'm going to be in Vegas calling those games on Fox. Can't wait. And then they got Nebraska at home. So, I mean, Creighton's going to be challenged big time in the non-conference. But with the team that Creighton has, you answer the bell in the non-con, you could be putting yourself in position for like a one-seed, two-seed type stuff. They're going to be all, a lot of those teams that is named are all quad one wins. So that is exciting. 
As far as a prediction for this season, man, I don't know what to say. I'll say this. I think this team wins the Big East regular season crown. I think they're the best team in the Big East right now on paper, no doubt. And then, you know, final. Are they going to go to the Final Four? I don't even know how to, like, it's hard to say that when as a program you've never done it, you know? I think this team's a second weekend NCAA tournament team, and at that point, anything's possible. Like, I 100% believe this team is good enough to go to the Final Four. I think when it's March, there's good, they're going to be one of the final 16 teams, eight teams standing, and when you're when that's the case, you're right there. A few plays away from it. And the thing I like about this team is how they've handled the expectations. Like, as a player, and you know, with expectations, you 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 either kind of like lean into them and embrace them, or you kind of downplay them. And this team has chose to totally embrace them. Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander, like these people are th- these guys talk about a national championship. And what's interesting is like when you contrast that with the team two years ago, and even before that, a lot of those teams talked about Sweet Sixteen. We want to be the team that that finally gets Creighton over the hump to the Sweet Sixteen. And I wonder if there's something to like capping yourself when that when that's your goal. And so maybe Marcus Zagorowski and those guys, they beat down that Sweet 16 door so this team can run through that door all the way to the Final Four. I don't know, little deep psychology stuff there, but I like how this team talks. Exciting times in Omaha, man. Really, really good team. This team's really good. Should be a really, really fun season. Okay, enough of me and my thoughts. Let's get to my chat with uh, Greg McDermott. Coach Mack, kind enough to let me come sit in his office before I went and checked out practice and all that. Uh, This is a conversation I had with uh, Coach McDermott on October 27th. Sat down in his office. Great conversation as always. Greg McDermott's the best man. So let's get to it. Here's my interview with Creighton head coach, Greg McDermott. Enjoy. Well, here we go. I'm in Greg McDermott's office. Here we are. It's uh, October. We're taping this. It's October 27th. We got about 30 minutes before practice starts. Uh, it's funny, Mac. I was thinking about last year, final week of the regular season. You have two home games left. You have UConn and Seton Hall. And I remember talking to you at the shoot around there. And Nemhard had just gotten hurt. And we're sitting there kind of thinking about the NCAA tournament bubble stuff. Like, oh man, it was, you felt like things were good, but I, I remember talking to you, felt like, oh, we got a little, we got a little work to do. It's amazing to contrast that moment with where things are at now, being a preseason top 10 team. It's wild just the, the run you guys went on when it felt like you guys were going to have to scrap and claw just to get into the tournament. You go play well in New York, you go play well in, in the tournament, and now here you are, preseason top 10 team. Yeah, it it's really amazing, Nick. What you know, what happens in March, how it impacts right. the preseason of the next year, and and I was concerned, you know, losing our two, and even though we found a way to come back and win that game, uh, you know, I really felt like we needed one of those home games to really uh, against two NCAA tournament teams to ensure that we were safely in the tournament, um, and I, I didn't feel like we could lose those two and go to New York and be one and done and and be in trouble. So. Uh, you know, obviously we played really well, and at that time I had no idea how Trey Alexander was going to morph into this point guard that <laughs> yeah. hadn't played point guard. Right, uh, and he did a great job for us. So you know, we played good basketball, some of our best basketball in March, uh, despite some injuries, and I think that's carried that momentum has carried over into this season. I'm sure you've been asked this a million times. This year is this your best team 
since you've been at Creighton. And it's hard because it's like Doug's team teams had Doug, and there's something to be said for penciling in, in 25 to 30. Maurice Watson's team was really good until he got hurt. I still think by the end of the end of the year, the Big East title team, the year that COVID cancels every everything, was that team was rolling. Obviously, Sweet 16 team. Like, where is this? I don't know if if this team's the best, but where are they different? I think this is the deepest. Yeah, um, I, I think we have more depth than we've had with the other teams, and it's you know it's hard to compare teams. People ask me that all the time, and I think as coaches, it's really difficult because Doug's team was unique. Yep, uh, you know Doug was just, obviously had an incredible uh, couple of years there, and the, and the pieces around him were just they just fit so well together and made us difficult to guard. Yet I don't know that that team was going to win on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know the the group with Maurice Watson and Marcus Foster and Taz and and Cole and Justin Justin Patton. I mean that was a really talented group. You, yes. have, you know two NBA picks and just and and Marcus Foster was I think as close to an NBA player and Maurice Watson, who at the time was playing as well as any point guard in the country from a collegiate standpoint uh, before he got hurt. So um, and then you can't argue with the Sweet Sixteen team because they right. they really played well late in the season and and won a Big East championship. So uh, you know we have that's it, it it's an honor for these guys to be compared to some of those teams. Uh, but you know we've got to blaze our own trail here. We're we're different uh, than those teams. We're different than the team we were a year ago. Um, and we just got to figure out what our identity is. You know we we're playing fast. We're back to doing that. We're shooting threes. Uh, but you know, as I've I've said to the teams many, many times, we we have to become the defensive team we were last season for us to reach some of these lofty goals that we have for ourselves. How, how do handling expectations? Like I've been I've been struck at the players seem like they're really leaning into them and embracing them, which I've always kind of felt like with expectations, you either got to embrace them or you got to totally kind of downplay them. Have you guys had a lot of conversations about you know not that? a not a ton and you know I agree with you you can't really stand on the fence when it comes to that no. one way or the other and coaches probably approach it a little different uh, than the players do and I, I want them to have confidence and you know the reality of it is is these guys have sacrificed a lot they've worked extremely hard we've got a very talented group of players that we're asking to play in an unselfish manner um, and and really give of themselves to try to for the betterment of the group. And if, you know, if you do all that, if you make all that sacrifice and you, and you work really hard, then when you step on the floor, you better expect to win. And if you don't, then there's a problem. So, uh, you know, their confidence is, is I'm good with it. Mm -hmm. Um, because the work ethic has backed it up. And that's been my message to him. Like, you can't – everybody's going to tell you how great you are. Don't believe it. You know, there's still room to grow. There's still room to get better. And as long as you don't lose that edge of I got to get in and, you know, as we look down the floor, we got Trey Alexander and, and, and Ryan Nembhardt down there going through a hard workout before practice starts today. And though that kind of uh, discipline to stay true to who you are and how you grow as a player, um, you know, it, I think it allows you to have a chance to live up to some of those expectations. I always feel like for coaches, they probably never have a team that maximizes their potential and does great things that doesn't have a player on the roster that is completely aligned with you, where they they see things the same way you do to have someone, an extension of you in that locker room. Like Gibbs was probably that way. I know Mitch and Marcus were that way. I think Hawk last year was that way. Who's that guy this year? Who who's yeah, I mean, it, there? it's interesting. I, you know, I think Francisco Farabello will become that. He's got a, a lot of experience. He's he's not afraid to 
pass his opinion on to the, the guys on the team. And I think he's going to earn some respect because he's going to come off the bench, and he's a really good player, and everybody right. knows how good a player he is. And he's going to handle that role with maturity and toughness, and he'll when his number's called, he'll be ready. I think there's an opportunity there. But I think all the guys kind of do it in their own way. This is more of a, a leadership by committee group than a specific guy uh, because R2 leads in his own way. Trey is you know kind of quiet, but you know the, the way he goes about his process on a daily basis and – I think Baylor, as he gets more comfortable, uh, will grow into a leadership role. Certainly, Art is vocal, and, and Kalkbrenner, you know, he, he's got the respect of everybody in this program because of how hard he's worked and the player that he's made himself into. And then Sharif's, it's his fourth year in our program. He's the guy that's been around the most. He understands the culture, uh, understands what's expected from our standpoint uh, and what's okay and what's not okay. So, um you know, it's by committee so far. We'll see if someone emerges as the season goes on. Uh, but but I also think that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, like I said, this has been an unselfish group so far. Knock on wood, I hope it continues when the lights come on. But uh, at least at this point, I, I had thought I was going to have to force feed some of that to this, this group. And I think Baylor coming into a new group and being a willing passer has made it go so smooth. Uh, because, you know, when you shoot it like Baylor and he's willing to give up a shot to pass it to you, uh, you're certainly going to do the same thing to him the next time down the floor. Let's talk more about Baylor because, you know, first of all, seeing him, he's bigger in person than I anticipated. I mean, he's a legitimate six 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 six, six and a half. Six, seven. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a big guy. You bring up his passing. When people have asked me, like that's my, I think that's his best quality as a player. What have you just expand on him? I mean, in he, you know, he shot forty eight percent from yeah. the three point line last year, so it's hard to say that's not one of them. And he, and he, and his numbers in practice have been off the charts in that regard as well. But he, he, he has elite vision, and you know, one of those guys, a little bit like Gibbs, in that he could freeze a defense with a pass faker, a shot faker with his eyes, uh, and can you know go fast, but he's. He's going slow in his own mind, and he's he's getting the defense to react, whether he's using a pass fake or a shot fake or his eyes to move him, and then he's making the right read as a result of that. And he can do it in space. He can do it in a ball screen. He had a couple just next-level passes in transition when we scrimmaged over at, at Iowa State where he got guys easy baskets. So um, he's really fit in uh, even better than I could have imagined, and uh, you know I, I think our fans are really going to enjoy watching yeah. him play. Yeah, he, he also – for for an unselfish guy, he doesn't lack confidence. He'll pull one from thirty feet. He'll throw an around the back pass if he like. He's he he's an entertainer out there too, a little bit. Yeah, you had he to kind is. of reel, reel him in with some of that. Yeah, stuff. he's he's gonna he's gonna shoot a few of those Balik and Ragi bombs <laughs> that we've seen in the past. And, right, but you know he can make them, and he's proven he he could make them when he was at South Dakota State and. But, you know, I, I can't think of a handful of bad shots he's taken since practice started. He's just – he's a really intelligent basketball player, and I think what has impressed NBA scouts about him is that he is pretty complete, mm-hmm. and he doesn't try to do too much. He understands who he is, and he and he plays to that. Some guys try to, you know, try to do too much, and I think he keeps a game really simple, and I think simplicity is going to be the key to, to his future, both with us this year and beyond. Yeah, you know – when you think sometimes you can, I mean, we can sit here and talk about all the positives of your team. But the the one reality is that you have a lot of guys that deserve the ball, deserve shots. Probably think they should be they should be getting plays run for them. And the reality is, in your system, like the ball is going to find the open man. You got to trust it. How much have you had to talk to the guys about buying into? 
hey, you you want to make it to the NBA, you want to whatever, win. Get make make that deep run. How much have you had to talk to them about that, or has it come natural? No, we've had we've had to talk about, it, especially early. Uh, but you know, I think naturally these guys are pretty unselfish, and they'll make the extra pass. Um, you know, the NBA guys look at per minute statistics anyway. It's not you know it's per forty. It's not what you average you know rebounds and points right. the number of minutes you played. So um, you know they're into efficiency. And, you know, we talk about shot quality all the time. So, you know, we want good shots. And sometimes those good shots go in and sometimes they don't. But we just want to make sure we get good ones. And I think those guys have bought into that. Um, and then obviously on the other end of the court, you're trying to make them take the shot that we want them to take, not the shot that they want to take. Uh, but I think this group has embraced – they embrace winning. And, uh, you know, hopefully that continues when the lights go on for real. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you got to be a space guy and you got to let the action happen and you have to stay spaced and then the next possession you could be involved in the action and somebody else has to stay spaced or, or make a move based on your penetration. So, um, you know, I, I, I think they can – I think they all get it. And fortunately this year, you know, we have a lot of guys you can put in those actions. Yes. Last year a lot of times – Everything came back to Nemhart right. uh, because we were somewhat limited on a ball from a ball handling standpoint. But now with you know R two and Trey and and Reef and Bello and Baylor Art, there's a lot of guys that can handle the ball and make decisions. I was just going to say that you know when you think about the teams that are playing in the final weekend of the season, a lot of them have multiple guys that can come off a ball screen or create. You think about the Butler guys or the Baylor guys with Butler and Mitchell and those guys that won it. All the Nova teams, Kansas, saw them last year, obviously. Multiple playmaking guys. Trey played some point, as you pointed out. You know R2 can do it. Shireman was the primary ball handler. Like That's got to give you some options offensively to allow different guys to initiate and create. Yeah, you know, we've, we've had to kind of go back to some of the things we did you know, when we had Tyshawn and, and Marcus, Marcus. Uh, and then, you know, how we move Mitch around and, and we can do that now with uh, with Baylor and, right. and Trey and Bello. Uh, so, you know, we've been able to get creative offensively with some of the things that we're doing. Uh, but, you know, we're back to playing fast and we're back to trying to hunt things down in transition and make them pay for, you know, make people really work to try to stop us in transition. And, um, you know, we have to be able to do that and then not forget the big fella inside because he's too important and it, it's a basket pretty much when you get him the basketball down there. So, um but, you know, I like this group. They're, they're fun to coach. And like I said, there's a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. And, and you know, the challenge is, like, can we all function together when the lights come on? And, uh, you know, Sunday will be a good step in that direction to see uh, what happens when we play for real. Most improved guy. Who is it? Uh, you know, I think there's two that jump at me. You know, it's really not fair with R2 and, and Kalkbrenner and, and Art because they've had injuries. And, you know, it's hard to make progress when you're out two, three months in the off season. And, and all three of those guys have experienced that. But Trey's made an incredible jump. Yep. Um, he, he's, a, he's a much better player than he was at the end of last year, and he was a really good player at the end of Scary. last year. And, and Mason Miller's probably the other guy that's, that's taken a good step. And he needed to get stronger, needed to stick his nose in there a little bit more, shoot it consistently. And, um, you know, he's really done that. And I, I had hoped that he'd be able to carve out a role in this rotation and at least to this point, he's done that. I just want to rip through a few guys. Give me a couple thoughts on him. Uh, Kaluma. I mean, you can make a case he was the best player on the floor for that game against Kansas. I mean, you know, he he was his people forget his knee. He hurt his knee, missed four games right when he was kind of starting to get it rolling, and then he ramped it back up at the end of the year. There hasn't been a lot of guys like Art around here with his skill set. What what have, what do you see from Kaluma right? Well, now? that's just it. You know, he's he's a unique 
player and that you know it's it's a combination of skill and athletic ability and you know passion to get better and he's he's got all those and uh you know he missed a lot of practice time and he's back on the floor now and now he's anxious and excited and he's probably going a little bit too fast right now as a result of that he just needs to slow down and and trust the offense let it come to him instead of trying to force the issue and he's not always trying to force the issue for himself he's trying to create something for a teammate as well and um, you know as he gets back to the point where he trusts what we're doing offensively um, you know he's shooting the basketball at a high level and uh, you know I think he's in for a heck of a year what about Sharif people forget by the end of the year in that sweet 16 team, you almost had to have him on the floor. Yeah, he, you know, we played him a lot with Marcus yeah. late in that season. And, and you know, he's playing 20 minutes a game late this season because he was, you know, so dependable defensively, uh, took care of the ball. And, his, you know, his speed with the basketball and transition was great for us. And, you know, it's been awesome for him and R2 to go against each other every day. You know, that's – uh, it's awesome. And, you know, he's played on the second team a lot in practice. And you got Farabella over there some. So you got two four-year guards that are playing against your starting five every day. And it's really challenged us and been great for us. So, um, you know, Sharif is a better version of the guy that was playing at the end of that year. And uh, I think our fans are going to be excited to see him back on the floor. Talk more about Farabella. People need to understand he was basically a six-man on a TCU team that took Arizona to the brink in the NCAA tournament. Is, is he a little like AOC is he is like what's he yeah, like in it? Because you know, it's interesting he's, that he's so he's so vocal. Yeah, he's not he's not athletic. Uh, yeah, okay. Like O'Connell, uh, not quite as big, but just really understands how to play. He's probably got uh, some Grant Gibbs to him in terms of his understanding of the game and feel for the game and being in the right place. And uh, but you know he's a forty percent shooter mm-hmm. at TCU, and he was always on the floor when the game was being decided, which tells you something about you know what what coach Dixon thought of him um and I think he's just looking for a different system a system you know like ours where we're mm-hmm. playing fast we're shooting threes there's a lot of freedom uh, but he, he's gonna he's gonna be an unbelievable weapon off that bench uh, because he can do so many things and and uh, he's certainly earned the, the the trust of the coaching staff uh through 20 practices knock on wood that he continues this but Kalkbrenner just doesn't foul so you might not Let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, not see, you might not see a bunch of, of Frederick King, but man, does that guy just drenched in potential oozes potential, and uh, you know it's it's a lot. I think his head's spinning right now. There's you know there's a lot of stuff to remember, and you know in our offense the the five man triggers a lot. You yep. know sometimes they just go to the block and they stay there and they're not that involved. Well, he's got to remember a lot of stuff. You know we we twist some screens, we change some angles and you know it's it's one thing to know the play and then the the next step is what are we really looking for in this play and what are we trying to get out of it? Right. And he's stuck somewhere in between those two okay. things right now. <laughs> uh, but he, you know he he wants to get better and and you know I owe it to him and I just talked to him this morning like we're going to come up with five or six things right now that you're really comfortable with and when when you're on the floor that's what we're going to go to and then we'll gradually build on on the other things and that's my responsibility as a head coach to make sure uh, that he understands what he's doing when he's out there but you know athletically he is not back down from Kalkbrenner you know he fights him every day and not many people score on Ryan Kalkbrenner on the block Frederick King scores on Ryan Kalkbrenner on the block so it's uh and he's had a you know there's some things that he some freshman days that he has where it doesn't look great, but every practice there's two or three two or three things that happen that Frederick does that you just go, wow! Yeah. Did you just see that? Yeah. Somebody get that on film. <laughs> yeah. uh, the guy who was on the receiving end doesn't want to see it no, on no. film, but there's been some pretty amazing stuff that the young guy's done. Two two last guys, uh, Ben 
Stolzberg, I mean, really talented guy. Uh, just it's a it's a lot of guards in front of him. I mean, how do you see him? He's right had now? he's had two incredible, three incredible practices in a row. He just keeps getting better. Uh, and you know, the freshman, it's it, it just takes a while. You learn so much, and you and you get you're almost paralyzed physically because your mind is racing trying to remember where am I supposed to be what am I supposed to do what's the timing of this and as he's as we move through practice he's gotten I think he's freed his mind a little and is just playing but he's got a lot of Marcus Zigorowski to his game um, you know he, he's got a mid-range game he's creative there he can shoot the three really well but he's bigger than Marcus yes and uh, you know stronger than Marcus at the same age he's still he has the attribute that Marcus had where he's probably a little too hard on himself and you got to get over a bad play you made and, and get on to the next one and we're working on that but he's good enough to play for us this year there's no question most years he'd be an important you know be out there a lot right just this year there's a lot of guys so uh he's got to stay ready and and you know i'm confident that he will last guy mason miller red shirted seems like a guy that's that also is talented enough to be out there yeah, it was the right call to redshirt him. Yep. And, and, you know, fortunately he had a, a dad who was into basketball and understood it and understood where Mason was and where he, we thought he could be, both both Mike and and, and, and Jen, his mother. Uh, you know, this is where we think we can get him, and we think a year in the weight room would be really beneficial, and it has been. It, it, it You know, just that added strength. When you're not strong enough, Nick, you, um, you know, not only does it put you in a bad spot, but I think you begin to lack confidence because mm-hmm. you're getting overwhelmed physically. And now that he's been able to get in the fight a little bit more from a physical standpoint I think that it's helped his mental approach to the game and he's shooting the ball with a lot of confidence he made three threes over at Iowa State stuck his nose in on the glass so um, you know he and he's you know he's one of the fastest guys on the team and has a best standing vertical jump on the team so there's some athleticism there that I think uh, you know that our fans will enjoy watching last thing the schedule is uh Ooh. It's it's yeah. depending on yeah. who we, if, if you're yeah. you you're going oh boy if you're the fans you're going oh yes it was like one of those nights you and I had too many vodkas yeah, yeah, put yeah. that thing together <laughs> it all depends on the perspective of yeah. who's, who's who's involved yeah. in this situation here but it's uh, tough yeah and you know I think Nick you when you have a team that that you think has a chance to be good I think you owe it to them to challenge them because if we can get through it. It, it benefits us in March. And worst case scenario, if we stub our toe a few times along the way, it's going to prepare us for what's ahead in the Big East. Um, so, you know, it's. I wish more of them were at home sure. for, our, for our fans. Uh, some of that was out of our control with, with the NCAA volleyball and Bud Crawford's fight. Uh, you know, not, not a lot of times to play for us in December. Uh, once we get through finals, the place is really closed for eight or nine days. So that's why we did the neutral site games in Vegas with Arizona State and BYU. Uh, but going to Texas is going to be really tough. Man. Obviously, Nebraska at home is always a great game. Um, and then, you know, what we have in Maui, it's you know, it's, incredible. it's we, we could legitimately play three top 25 teams in that tournament so um, you know we have to we have to get ourselves ready and and as I've told the staff you know sometimes you save some stuff for conference play and I'm kind of jamming that down our guys yeah. throat like like right. I want to make sure we have all the tricks up our sleeve for when, sure you know when we jump on that plane and go right. to Hawaii well we're, I'm about to go watch you guys practice of all the things you've overcome the fact that you don't have me running scout team like I used to for like 10 years ago. I don't know how you guys ever have a good look. Well, anymore. I mean, you're sitting across the desk, and there were a lot of times after the after I watched those films of those practices where you were out there that I'd like to call you in and watch the damn film. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, 
Coach Altman would not be happy no. with, with some of your defensive fundamental. No, and, you know, I gave the guys confidence. And you, Mac. you know, he, I know he, I know he wanted you in a stance, and that <laughs> wasn't happening a lot. No. You know, you weren't bending your knees. No, Nick, it was and not I've heard you said it many times. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, those were the days. It's amazing. It's been it's nuts. Uh, you know, it's been 13 years already. All right, Mac. Go. Let's. I'm gonna go watch you guys practice. Appreciate your time. Always great to catch up, Nick. 